Hi, Bailey. Hello, Mom. How have you been? I'm hanging in there. <laughs> yeah, I had a hell of a week. Yes, you did. I know. <laughs> and you kind of did, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, here we are. Episode 7. I can't mm-hmm. believe we're on episode 7. Yeah, time really does fly. I just want to do a shout out. We are on Instagram, so if you want to check us out, we are True Crime BNB. So send us a message. We're waiting to hear from you. <laughs> well, even if you don't send us a message, just follow us and then you'll know in advance. We'll give some little teasers as to what our upcoming mm-hmm. episode is going to be. And so. probably post stuff about true crime happening in the world that we don't necessarily talk about in the podcast. So mm-hmm. just something to look for. Yeah. So you're going first today, right? Yes, because my story is absolutely awful. Hooray. Yes. I can't wait. Good thing I've got my special Coke here today. Special. <laughs> it's Mommy Coke. That's <laughs> used to call the Mommy Beers. Okay, so today I'm bringing you a story out of Canada again. You know how horrible my Canada stories always are. You know, Canadians are so nice. And Until you... they aren't. Like, it's just yeah. one end of the spectrum or the other. Are, just... are you going to be doing the Pictons soon? Yeah. <laughs> Is that the farm? The Piggy Palace? Yes. Uh, no. Anyway, they're, they're Canadian too. Okay, so today I'm taking you to Canada. We're going to start with, you've probably heard of this one. His name is Tim McLean. He was born on October 5th, 1985. He grew up in a farming community outside of Winnipeg. Ever since he was a kid, he was kind of like, his friends described him as almost like ADHD. Like he was just always just running around nonstop, just a really adventurous and outgoing person. So he loved to travel and in his adult life, he started to do that for like, that was just his lifestyle, kind of like the roaming around thing. Okay. At the age of 22, his friend Tiffany actually started working at a carnival and knowing that Tim was the kind of like, didn't really have a permanent home type of person. Yes. She was like, this lifestyle will be perfect for you. So free, like... Didn't like confining to rules type of person, so he took a job as a carny, and he loved it. So he absolutely thrived. At the time, in 2008, he was working the carnival game booths in Edmonton, which was one of their stops along the route that they would take. Okay. And then he actually got word that he was going to have the next week off, and he had been kind of planning to make his permanent home in British Columbia. So his dad back in Winnipeg was expecting him to come home that day to, like, pack up his stuff and plan his move to British Columbia during that week that he had off. Okay. So his friends actually, when they found out he was going back home, they decided, hey, we'll go ahead and pool together all of our money and buy you a plane ticket so that this move goes a little bit easier well, for you. Well, that was nice. Yeah. Well, he was a really lovable guy. There's videos of him just like, he would vlog basically his traveling throughout okay. the circus. And he was just so sweet, so nice. Which is never good in the true crime. No, that usually makes you a goner. Yeah. So, but he actually, being the traveler that he was, he wanted to take the bus and just travel the whole country. Because it's, I don't remember, they said it was like a 24-hour trip back from Edmonton to Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. That's most of the way across the country. Yeah. So, he was going to do this trip and he was going to do it alone, but he was used to this. He was on a Greyhound all the time, like for his job. That's what he did. Mm-hmm. He ended up taking the Trans-Canada Highway from Edmonton to Winnipeg. It was going to be a 24-hour journey from Edmonton, where his last stop in the carnival was, and then going back to Winnipeg. Okay, and he turned down the plane tickets because he would rather see the country. He'd rather just take the scenic route, basically. Okay. Okay, so unknown to Tim, there was also a man named Vincent Lee who was going to be taking the same route, but 24 hours before him. Okay. So he went to the same Edmonton bus stop to get on the bus, 
and ended up traveling all the way to a town called Erickson. He got off the bus and he didn't, he was planning to go to Winnipeg too, but for some reason he just got off the bus and stopped at Erickson and just hung out at the bus station. Yeah. I just, I think I just came across this recently. It might have been Mr. Ballin. It might have been. I think it was. Vincent Lee, he... We love Mr. Ballin. We love Mr. Ballin. (laughs) Uh, He got off at this stop in Erickson, and he just hung around the bus station. A kid that was working the gas station across the street as, like, an attendant Mm -hmm. noticed him there, and he was like, he's kind of weird, but he's not doing anything, so he was like, whatever. And so that kid goes home, and the next day he comes back, and he's still sitting in the exact same spot, hadn't slept, just staring off into the abyss. And at this point, he had, like, a sign that he had handwritten and put on his laptop saying for sale for $600. And the kid goes, so he like approaches the kid and goes, hey, do you want to buy this? And the kid's 15. He goes, I can't afford $600 for a random laptop. And then the guy goes, okay, well, I'll sell it to you for 60. And the kid said, sure. And he bought the laptop. And so finally he stayed there all day in Erickson. But then this is when Tim's bus route came through okay and vincent then got onto tim's bus and continued the journey to winnipeg so okay. we don't know why he stopped there he just well just from his behavior you can tell that he's, he's going through something that a normal person doesn't just chill at the bus station and not even sleep yeah. all night long. so obviously he's going through something yes so vincent lee just a little background he came to canada in 2001 with his wife He's a little bit older than Tim. I believe he was 40 in 2008 and Tim was 22. Mm-hmm. But they were separated at this time. And in 2005, he had actually been diagnosed with schizophrenia because he was le- hearing voices from God and telling him that there were aliens on the earth and he needed to like kill them in order to save humanity and all this stuff. But oh, he left it untreated and decided not to take any medications for it. And because of that, he had recently been fired from his job at Walmart. So he was just kind of trying to figure things out for himself at this point. So Or not figure things out. Or I think he was trying to figure things out, but then he just snapped. Well, he just decided that he knew better than what all of his medical professionals were telling him. Yeah, that's how I feel too. But well, that's the whole discussion we'll get into later. <laughs> okay, so on July 30th, around 6 p.m., that's when Vincent boarded the same bus as Tim. And he took a seat initially in the front of the bus, but then like they stopped in another the next stop over and... He got off, smoked a cigarette, and then got back on and seemed, like, displeased with his spot in the front. So then he started slowly walking back and just one of the survivors of this incident ended up saying he looked everybody in the eye and just deciding on who he was going to sit next to. And so finally he ended up on Tim and he said later that the reason he chose to sit next to Tim was because he was so nice and he actually acknowledged him and said, hi, how are you doing? And so he took a seat next to him. Isn't that horrible? Yes. (laughs) Well, I think we all knew where this is going. Yeah. So just to, so you know where they are on the bus, they, Tim was located, um, they said one row in front of the restroom. So I assume there's probably two or three rows back on the other side. Okay. So there's probably like a couple seats behind him still. Okay. Witnesses later claimed that they had been like kind of eyeing Vincent the whole time because he had... Only thing he had, he had two bags, and then he had a two liter of iced tea that he was just drinking and a roll of toilet paper that he was, like, nursing, and he was, like, weirdly possessive of it. So he, like, just wouldn't put it down anywhere. Like, when he would go to drink the two liter with both of his hands, he would hold the toilet paper underneath his chin. Oh, my And it was just bizarre. Like, who does that? Yeah, I guess somebody who really loves his toilet paper. And so... crap. So Tim... (laughs) (laughs) That was not on purpose. (laughs) All right. Kind of like my they were in the same boat after the Titanic story. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. 
So just a little glimpse into what was going on at the time. Tim had no thought about it. Like I said, he was just a really nice, friendly guy. So he was like, whatever, this guy sat down. So he put in his headphones and fell asleep against the window. And then another witness at the time claimed there were no lights on. It was like getting dark outside. There were no lights on. All they had was like to light up the interior of the bus was just the TV playing, like some movie. So most of the people were actually sleeping at the time. But after the bus began to move again, Vincent Lee calmly pulled out a hunting knife and began stabbing Tim repeatedly. Like everybody said, it was just no expression on his face. Tim hadn't done anything. He was asleep at the time. Like, so nobody knew what was going on. But the man uh, actually in the aisle seat across from all this going down, he was the one who said the toilet paper thing. Like everybody was like, this guy's weird. So he saw the stabbing happen, and he starts running down the aisle, screaming to the bus driver to stop and pull over, because somebody's getting stabbed. At this point, Tim woke up and began screaming. So Tim woke up and began screaming and fighting back. Witnesses, again, described Lee, the entire ordeal, just as robotic with no expression. So once they pulled over, passengers began, like, trampling over each other, like, fleeing the bus, just trying to get out of here, yeah. Because they don't know if he's going to turn on them next, you know? Well, you would assume he's going to. I would to. assume this guy's clearly not right. So Lee actually paid no mind to them, continuing his t- attack on Tim. Wow. There were three people stuck in the back rows behind them that they couldn't get up because they couldn't pass. It was a mother and her young child. Can you imagine? Can you imagine sitting there? Uh, you're, how old was <sighs> this kid? Like five? They said young child, so I would assume toddler. <sighs> so eventually those three people that were stuck in the back, they ended up jumping the seats and getting out alive. Everything was okay with them, not mentally again. Like that's No, I'm sure nobody on that bus. traumatizing. Nobody on that bus was mentally okay after that happened. So Tim actually, he was fighting for his life. He tried jumping over Lee and the attack ended up continuing into the aisle. So he's been stabbed over and over and over, and they he said, still had enough physical strength to get up and try to get out of the seat? Mm-hmm. They said um, oh by the time they had even pulled over off the side of the highway, he had been stabbed at least 60 times. Oh, so shit. it was, like, intense. That's insane. So um, a passerby who just happened to be, like, a, he was a truck driver on his way home that day, he saw the bus pulled over and all these people frantic on the outside of it, so he pulled over to see if there's anything he could do to help. Yeah. The bus driver, along with this, after explaining to this truck driver what had just taken place, the truck driver happened to have a bunch of tools in the back of his, his, right. Back of his truck. Right. So the bus driver then explained to Chris Dwyer what was going on, and they went to the back of his truck and got a bunch of tools, like hammers, decided to reboard the bus in hopes to save Tim or at least stop the attack until help could arrive. Mm-hmm. But at this point, they entered and... They realized that he was now sawing off Tim's head. Jesus Christ. And Lee actually turned around and saw them entering the bus and started to not chase them necessarily, but held up the knife and just started walking towards them slowly, which is almost creepier, I would say. Yeah, it's very Halloween-ish. Yeah, so they hurried off and called 911. Like, what else are they going to do at this point? Well, if he's already... Tim is already dead, there's nothing that they can do to help him at this point. Well, like I said, he was sawing off his head. Like, there wasn't... Yeah. That's pretty... Not survivable. At that point, you pretty much have to save yourself. So after this, Lee actually went back to Tim's body and grabbed his head and began holding it up to the window for all of the people who had already been scarred by witnessing the attack to just... Mm. Finally, this all happened 
A little bit after 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock p.m., the police finally arrived. So they were all just standing there watching this guy just, like, mutilate this person mm. in the bus. And the police, there was a standoff with negotiators trying to, they didn't want to, like, use lethal force because I think they knew this guy is not mentally stable. They didn't want to kill him. Lethal force. Lethal? <laughs> So, but a lot of people were saying that they were really, like, the witnesses that were there were really disappointed what was going on because they're like, after what he just did, get him out. Like, he's destroying this poor person's body, even if he's dead. Yeah. His family's not going to have something to bury now. Like, they're not going to be able to say goodbye. Yeah. So, the police, they just waited around, basically. That was their whole plan was to just wait him out and see if he would come out by <sighs> on his own. So, finally, after, I think they said four hours of this. You're kidding me. He's in there. Four- Mutilating, mutilating this, this dude for four hours with all of these kids and people frantically around the bus throwing up from just shock and stuff for four hours <laughs> until Jesus. finally Vincent Lee attempted to climb out of the back window of the bus. Um, he was tased not only once but twice and didn't go down. So that's just to show you how mentally unstable he was. And finally was handcuffed. After being searched, they did find Tim's nose and tongue in Lee's pocket and then later discovered that I think they said a third of his heart and his eyeballs had been eaten by Vincent during the attack. I feel sick. I know. (laughs) That's horrifying. And to think that people are literally watching this happen. I just don't understand I mean, okay, he's clearly mentally unwell. He clearly needs medication. (laughs) He clearly needs medical intervention. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, why does he get to keep doing this for four hours? I mean, just the same question everybody asks. I mean, I get not wanting to kill the dude, but at some point, at some point, you've got to. I mean, yeah, restraint is a good thing. Mm. But this. Was well, not a one good of the thing. witnesses that on the show. I think his name is Steven. He was the person that was across from them when this happened, and he said, "I was so furious that they just kept us letting this happen, and we were all just standing there like they didn't have any tear gas, they didn't have anything they could just toss in there to put yeah. it out or something." Yeah. Like, so. Wow. Whatever. Wow. Yeah, that's that's what that, happened. That's unfortunately, whether it's right blowing. or wrong. Mind blowing. A week after the killing happened, Greyhound actually pull, had to pull an advertisement that they had running previously oh, that God. literally stated, there's a reason you've never heard of bus rage, which is just, oh, obviously wow. they would have never. That is some bad timing that right there. That is like, ugh. I guess that had been running for a while before this happened, or it, it was brand been. new. Yeah, or, I don't know if it was brand I would assume they didn't put it out right after this happened. Probably they didn't even think about it until somebody probably complained. Ugh, yeah. Good grief. That is just awful. So afterwards, uh, Vincent Lee refused to hire a lawyer. He kept actually telling the police, just kill me, just kill me, just kill me. Like, he realized after the fact what he did was wrong, clearly, because otherwise, why would you feel so guilty? You're like, please just put me out. But he was, he did end up being represented by public servants. They discovered in before trial and all that, that he had been previously diagnosed as schizophrenic and that he was off medications. He actually met with a forensic psychologist afterwards, I believe a total of 19 times just to determine if he was insane at the time. It sure seems like he was. I I would say we didn't really need those 19 sessions. 
I'll say that. He claimed during these interviews that he would often hear voices telling him that there were aliens roaming the Earth and that he needed to kill in order to save his fellow humans. And after boarding the bus that day, the voices pulled him towards Tim and told him to eliminate him. And the whole, like, cannibalistic part, he explained it as he had to separate the head and the organs as far apart as possible or else they would come back to life, basically, and that he thought that was his only way of making sure he didn't come back to life. Is to consume him. Oh, he made it pretty clear he wasn't going to come back to life. I know. So the judge actually agreed with the psychologist's ruling that he was insane. And they committed him to a high-security psych facility for one year to be evaluated and treated and just would take it step by step after that. On One year. uh, One year. I think it was kind of like to see if he needed to go to prison afterwards and then to see if he was okay just in the psych facility. So on June 3rd, 2010, this all happened in 2008. So June 3rd, 2010, Lee was doing well with his treatment and was actually allowed supervised walks away from the facility, so he'd have like a nurse or a doctor with him at all times. May 30th, 2011, his doctor recommended that he be given more freedom in phases. So in 2012, Lee was granted temporary passes to town in Selkirk, supervised again. Then in 2014, he was allowed to have unsupervised visits out of the facility starting at 30 minutes, and then they would slowly expand it to eventually being full day trips. You know, and then unfortunately, July 17th, 2014, Corporal Ken Barker was the first officer on the scene. He was the first person to enter the bus and he had been suffering obviously from severe PTSD ever since and he commits suicide. So many people just suffer so much from this. I mean, Tim notwithstanding, so many other God, people. God, his poor family. I can't. Ugh. Just to imagine your loved one dying that way. Well, they actually said it later on, but they interviewed both the parents in the documentary I watched. I think it was just called Bus 1170, because that's the number of the bus route. They interviewed both the parents, and the mom saw it on the news, but they didn't release the name of the victim. And she worked at, like, a senior care facility or something, and she just thought, oh, that poor boy's failed. Yeah. <sighs> Oh, this is what happens when true crime people are empathetic. I know! Jesus! Okay, so May of 2015, Vincent Lee was allowed to leave the facility permanently and instead live in group homes. And then February 10th, 2017, Lee was fully discharged. He actually changed his name legally and is a free man today with no legal obligations or restrictions. Doesn't even, not even monitored to make sure he's staying on his medication or anything. And if he ever applies to a job, he literally has no criminal record. That is understandably, absolutely, ridiculously controversial. I mean, I get he was off his medications. I get he has a mental health issue that clearly needs treatment. And if he stays on that treatment, I think that he shouldn't necessarily be put to death or in life in prison or anything like that. But how many people have you seen stories of or even have seen that you know who need to be on medication... And while they're on medication, they start to feel they're better. feeling better. And they're like, oh, I'm better now. I don't need this anymore. And then they stop taking the medication. That's what so many people were saying. It's just like, okay, and what happens the next time he decides he doesn't need the medication and he snaps again? And yeah. we're not going to keep yeah. record of this happened? I mean, I am so empathetic towards people with mental health issues because it's a physical problem. Yeah. They don't have the right chemicals. Mm-hmm. And, and it just... I don't know. It's no fault of theirs that they have those problems. I just feel like cases like 
this, where it's this extreme, where it got to this level, I do think he should be in a psychiatric facility for the rest of his days. It's if just, he's so dangerous. I don't <laughs> know if you remember, but one of the projects that I used to do a lot of work in mm. was a behavioral health facility. For like juveniles, right? No, those were those were just correctional. But okay. these were behavioral health for basically forensic mental health units. So they had people there that were found not able to stand trial for mm-hmm. their crimes because of mental health issues. Put back into society. Yeah. Right. They just were never going to reach a point where they were... Which is like... That's what I think should have been done here. It's just like... Yeah. It was just too bad what he did. It, it was. It's not like... It's not forgivable. Like, I get it, it and it, I don't hate him, but I just don't want that person out there. <laughs> like, if, he, if he had this episode on his bus mm-hmm. and he threw a Coke all over everybody and he yelled and he raised a ruckus... Even okay. punched a man in the face. Okay. Yeah. Like, that's a forgivable thing. That, that, that might happen mm-hmm. if you're having a mental health episode... But if you stab and dismember and eat somebody... It was so horrible. The father said, I didn't even... There wasn't even, like, a foot I could hold on to at the morgue. That's how unrecognizable his entire body was. So, like, that's not just a, oh, I flipped my shit and stabbed somebody. That's going above and beyond, like, yeah, what should be socially acceptable in, like, in society ever again. Yeah. In my opinion. I- I would have to believe nobody wants to face the possibility of a recurrence of that and to make it so easy for him to just disappear and be unmonitored, unsupervised, unfollowed up on. It's just really scary. And he, just, he could be living next door for all we know. And he changed his name. Like, yeah. And I don't want to say it because I'm not out to get him. You know what I mean? Like, if he literally stays on track the rest of his life and he stays up to date with his medication, I hope he's doing good. But, like... I do, too. But I don't... I just don't know that you can count on that. I, I absolutely will not hold my breath that he's going to stay on the straight and narrow, but... Holy cow. Well, that isn't even the straight and narrow. It's, it's really just a, a health issue. But he... Mm-hmm. He has shown in the past that he can't be counted on to to maintain his own medical needs. Yeah. And that's just really terrifying. So, unfortunately, that's my bummer story today. That's, that's terrifying. And you had some details in there that I had not heard before. Really? Yeah. Well, I got a lot of them from, like I was telling you, the documentary that I watched, it was from 2011. So, they actually had no updates about Vincent being let go and all that because... Mm-hmm hadn't happened yet but right at that time i'm sure they couldn't ever foresee that happening oh yeah at that time they were like oh yeah he'll probably spend the rest of his life and and i'm just sitting there watching like oh wait till you guys find out in like five years what's gonna happen with him wow wow that's terrifying yeah okay so i hope you have a happy story my story is you know how i like to do these little sequence of stories that follow a theme okay and i know that a lot of people's biggest fear is because when we're in our houses we we think we're safe. Right. You know, we sit here, sometimes we sit around in our underwear and, you know, you drink your wine and watch TV or do what you want to do, but Mm -hmm. you really don't feel like you have to worry that somebody's going to come through your door and hurt you. Right. It's your safe place. So this series of stories is in California last year, over a period of seven days, these these three events took place. Oh, wow. It's like 
I'm sorry, you said Southern California? Modesto and Fairfield, California. They're about 80 miles apart. All right. On June 30th, 2021, so less than a year ago, a couple in their 80s was at home in Modesto, California, when they became victims of a terrifying event. And it became the first of a sequence of three terrifying events. Okay. A woman, later found to be 32-year-old Pearl Fierro, just came up to a house and began smashing a sliding glass door with a fire extinguisher in an attempt to get inside the locked house of an 80-year-old couple. Ugh, not the... Why do you always have to go for the poor grandparents? (laughs) Well, let me finish. I know, I know, I'm just... So she's out here with the fire extinguisher smashing the hell out of their sliding glass door. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're tempered glass. It takes a lot to get through those and then it's double pane. Right. So she's making damage on it, but she's not into the the room yet or into the house yet. Okay. So the couple hears this noise. There's total chaos going on out in their family room. And one of them called for help and the other one went and got their gun out as a measure of self-defense so that they weren't just sitting ducks if this crazy woman comes through the door. So they they hollered at her. They told Pearl they were armed. They told her to stop what she was doing. They gave her a chance to leave. And she didn't. She just kept smashing the canister into the sliding glass door. So the gun didn't deter her at all? Well, apparently not. All right. But they're just holding it and they're just telling her that they've got it. I think that would be enough for me. (laughs) She's threatening now that when she gets inside, she's going to kill them both. And she had very near nearly breached the door and the terrified woman just fired a, a single shot at her at a girl yeah and pearl was struck in the abdomen still managed to get away from the door she did finally leave the door alone okay well <laughs> staggered away from the door went on to break into the couple's car outside and later died inside their car from her gunshot wound so now you're gonna like just dist- okay so that was june 30th two days later on july the 2nd also on the outskirts of modesto california A man had received an alert that his home security alarm was going off, so he raced home to find out what was going on. When he arrived, he found a man, Rodney Lee Martin, aged 41, inside the house where the alarm had been activated. Rodney, who had zero business being in there and was unknown to the homeowner, immediately started firing several shots at the homeowner when he was confronted, and the homeowner then returned fire. Rodney was hit. The homeowner was not hit, and he was able to disarm the intruder without any further shots being fired. (sighs) The police had also received an alert about the break-in from the alarm system, and by the time they arrived, Rodney had already died from his wound, and it was determined that the gun that was carried by Rodney was listed as stolen. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was two days after the first incident, number number two. All right. You detecting a theme? Yes. Another four days later... Now it's July the 6th, 8.30 a.m. on a Tuesday in a residential neighborhood in Fairfield, California, which is 80 miles, give or take, from Modesto. Another couple, but in their 60s, younger. They're youthful. They're, you know, a little older than me, but they're 60s. They're little spring chickens. They are. They're eating their breakfast together, and the doorbell rang. They checked their doorbell camera. They didn't recognize the man at the door. And, of course, they live 80 miles away from where these two other so events just happened. Is- so they're fully aware of these two incidents that happened within the past week. Uh-huh. And since they weren't expecting any deliveries or any visitors, they made the decision, we're not going to answer the door. We don't know who that is. We're not going to go open the door. I bet they listened to true crime, too. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. Maybe so. The man outside waited a few minutes after ringing the doorbell, and then suddenly he began violently kicking the door. And the husband and wife, still inside, they were registered gun owners. They went and retrieved their gun from where they stored it. And then they waited, hoping that the man was going to just give up on the door and leave. Because I saw pictures of this house, and 
it looked like it was an older house mm-hmm. and you know it probably had a big thick front door made okay. out of wood yeah so they're thinking well maybe this door will hold him they waited and hoped he would leave but suddenly the door flew inward and it was literally torn off its hinges oh crap God, was this guy the Hulk? <laughs> I think he was just very determined to Jesus. get in this house. Because it was a nice neighborhood. Right. And he thought he'd go in there and find some good stuff, right? <sighs> this guy races into the house, thinking it's going to be easy from here on out. But instead, he's hit with two bullets. But finally, the suspect did leave the house, just like Pearl. Okay. Finally left the house, trying to escape. At this point, he's just trying to get out of there. Made it across the street, and then he collapsed. The couple, immediately after the guy got through the door, called 911 and stated that they had shot a home invader and then soon after the EMTs arrived and went across the street and attempted to resuscitate the guy who had broken in. Actually broke into the home. I mean, he broke the home. Okay. Upon searching the suspect's person, he was found to be carrying a loaded semi-automatic handgun with an illegal extended magazine. That means it held more than 10 rounds, but I didn't find how many it actually held. So he had more than 10 rounds on the gun, which is illegal in California. Okay. And Yeah, I don't know guns, so I mean, some people say, well, he only meant to break into an empty house. That's why he rang the doorbell. Then why do you need a gun with more than 10? Yeah. Okay. But a lot of people these days don't answer their doors anymore. And surely he knew that. So even if he only had the gun to scare people who might be in there into cooperating with him... If he ran into people in a supposedly empty house, he didn't need an extended magazine for that. You only need the extended magazine if you're planning on shooting more than 10 rounds and very quickly. Right, if you're actually planning on hitting somebody. The suspect was a 27-year-old from Sassoon City. That's a hard one for me. It doesn't look anything like you say it. Sassoon City. Who was already on parole for home invasion in Alameda County. His name was not disclosed to the media by the police. And they had some other investigations going on, I think, that were related to that guy. So So he did die, right? said across the street yeah okay he did die in the yard across the street so you know i really don't relish stories where somebody dies in the commission of a crime i don't think that death is the equivalent punishment for robbing a house but these home invasions are such a terrifying act for people you know they're against people who are just enjoying what's supposed to be peacefulness of their own home and these three criminals all came equipped to hurt or kill somebody so i would far prefer the criminal die than to take down an innocent victim who just happened to be in their own home when someone decided to break into it. And honestly, what were they expecting people to do when you're literally backed into a corner? Like, Well, the, the last two, they probably thought nobody was going to be home. But right, the first yeah. woman, she clearly knew those people were home because they were inside yelling at her to get away or they were going to shoot her. And it was at a sliding glass door. Like, yeah. <laughs> So that's why I'm okay with calling these failed home invasions happy endings because the only person who did anything wrong is the only person who's really suffered for it. I mean, the people mentally suffered. I'm sure it was very traumatic. I'm sure they have PTSD. Mm-hmm. They had damages to their home that oh, they yeah, had to get fixed. It's got to be hard to feel safe in your home ever again after that. Yeah. Their Ugh. peace of mind is shot, but they were not injured. And that, in the end, is as good as it can get in a situation you know what like I say? this. I say... Yeah, play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Yeah, for real. Play evil games and win evil prizes. Sorry I had to die, but you didn't have to break into that house, so there's that. Well, especially the guy, the last guy, was already on parole for doing the same thing. Well, clearly the justice system is not doing its job if he's, ugh, makes me so infuriated when they just go out and redo the same thing. It's like, okay, we need harsher punishments, guys, because... Seriously. Okay, so just to clarify, these people that are invading the home, they're not, they don't know each other, right? The three people who invaded the three homes did not know each other. Okay. 
And I saw an article from, well, actually most of the articles I found seemed to have the same sources, but there was one where they asked one of the law enforcement officers, why did he think they had had three of these almost the same event in in a period of seven days? Seven days. Yeah, that's It was literally seven days. And the law enforcement officer said, well, the incidences of home invasions are on the rise. I mean, they are increasing, but at the same time, the incidences of homeowners who happen to be armed is also on the rise. And so that's why when the immovable object is hit by the unstoppable force, Mm -hmm. the front door breaks and then the guy gets shot. Yeah, and that reminds, once again, we need to go get our concealed carries. (laughs) (laughs) Or something. Or something. I mean, it is Georgia and everybody else down here is armed. We're the last two. I did hear... I did hear a little bit of a hint from somebody who used to live in the ghetto and is now like a suburb, <laughs> suburban mom. And she gives tips on how to protect your home. And she said that, don't forget, when you keep a baseball bat beside your bed, don't forget to put the stock on it. And everybody in the comments was like, why? Is that supposed to, so you don't kill them? It's just like a lesson to blow. Teach you to clean the blood off. That's what I said too. <laughs> no, but she said the reason for that is because when they start, you hit them and they start grabbing at it to pull it away from you, the stock will slip off. And then while they're so like, what the smart. hell just happened? You swack out again. So smart. So the more you know. <laughs> well, that'll work with my machete too. <laughs> yeah. Because it still has its little wrapper on it. Maybe. Well, yeah, I guess. But it's not going to do as much damage, I would think. <laughs> okay. So that's the end of that. And I thought I would tell you a story that I don't know if I've oh. ever told you before. Okay. Yes. And this is not crime related at all. I just thought it was kind of funny. All right. So my closing true story of today. When I lived in Columbus, Ohio, before moving to Georgia in 2013, I used to be an avid listener of what was back then CD 101, which Mm -hmm. is an alternative rock station. And it was awesome. And they played such good music. It later changed to CD 1025 and they had frequency troubles. And I think it's now off the air. I don't think they broadcast anymore. I don't think they have it anymore. Yeah. I think it's online, but not on the air. But back when it was still CD 101. So this is probably... 19 or 20 years ago. One morning, there was a joke contest where they would give a joke set up and then people were supposed to call in with a punchline and then the best punchline would win. Okay. I heard the setup on my way to work and I thought, well, you know, by the time I get there, somebody will have already, you know, given them one that will win. So I I didn't think I was going to have a chance. But when I got in there, I called just as soon as I arrived, like 10 minutes later. And to get the joke... You have to remember who Juan Valdez is. Have you ever heard of that guy? Back uh, years ago, <laughs> and maybe now, but I've not seen it for a really long time. Okay. There was a character, uh, like a cartoon character, but they also had live commercials where there was a guy dressed with uh, like a serape and carrying a bag of coffee beans. You know who I'm talking about? Okay, I can picture it in my mind. Yeah, yeah. so his name was Juan Valdez. Okay. And he was a, he represented the Colombian Coffee Growers Association. Okay. I can't for wait to see where this is going. Years <laughs> and years and years of old coffee commercials. And so the setup to the joke was that this is what they said on the air. A nun... Juan Valdez and two donkeys go into a bar. The bartender says, Hey, coffee man, you can't bring those donkeys in here. Okay. And so my punchline was... Juan Valdez replies, you try wandering the Colombian mountainside with an over-caffeinated nun for six months and see whether you want to let go of the best pieces of ass you've seen. (laughs) (laughs) And I won. (laughs) Were they allowed to say that on air? (laughs) You can say ass on the air. Maybe I just listened to PG radio stations. 
that's hilarious. So I won. I, I won two tickets to see Ellen DeGeneres live, but I got sick and I was not able to go see Ellen DeGeneres. Well, where was it? Was it? It was probably like at the Palace Theater. In Columbus? Mm-hmm. Oh, she must have been on tour then. Because I was thinking well, like. Well, yeah, they weren't going to fly me I to I thought you meant like the Ellen show like in she New didn't York have, or There was no Ellen show back then. That was a long time ago. That was when a long... did the Ellen show start? I don't know, but it wasn't 20 years ago. I'm a pop culture black hole, so I have I no know, idea. But anyway. <laughs> That's pretty So funny. the story is my joke one, and I was very proud. I'm proud of you, and I didn't even know. I came up with that like instantly in my car on the way to work one morning. And the whole time you're just sitting there giggling to yourself, probably holding this in until you got to... I'm like, I probably won't even have a chance, but damn it, I'm going to try. <laughs> Did they, one question, did they put you on the air or did they just announce Oh yeah, I was on the air. Oh gosh. I got to say it on the air. And they're like, well, we don't have to take any more calls, you win. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to be like, well, we just lost all of our airing rights because that woman cussed too much, so we can't take any more calls. I said ass. (laughs) I know. I said ass. What? That was during the joke, sure, but once you were on the air, who knows what you said. Hey, I don't cuss nearly as bad as you do. I know. Yeah, but at the time I was like six, so... Probably still cuss like a sailor. Oh, you didn't when you were six. You did have that one time when we were driving around uh, 270 on the way home. Which word did I say? You said fuck right in my ear. (laughs) (laughs) And it was the first time you had said it. I think you were like four. And, you know, as a parent, your first instinct is what? And you just... (laughs) You want to laugh, but you can't laugh because it's encouraging as, the behavior. Yes, as soon as a kid sees you laugh at them saying something like that, now that's all they'll say. It's a universal experience. We've all done it. We've had so many adventures in the car. Like that time we had to drive to the police station because we were followed for like... Yeah, we had a psycho lady chasing us on the interstate. <laughs> and then the time that you were sick to your stomach and you had to throw up all over my plastic laminated map. The fact that I was literally vomiting in the car and your first thought was... No, it was because I had a new outfit on that day. Do you remember? Remember that? We had just gotten this brand new, like, fancy coat from Kohl's. And it was, like, (laughs) probably a $100 coat or something. And you were like, not on the new clothes! So I had to hand me the laminated map so I could, like, angle my vomit (laughs) elsewhere. Direct it to the floor mat. That can be washed. (laughs) No spilling! (laughs) All right. We've gone way off the rails here. All right, tell again where our Instagram is. Yes, if you want to reach out to us or just follow us on Instagram, we are at TrueCrimeBnB. Oh, and I wanted to say we have been looking at our RSS feed listener map, and mm-hmm. we were so excited. We have listeners in Ireland, Belgium, Belgium, Dubai, and India. Mm-hmm. We don't have anybody in Canada yet. We're international girl. Canada probably hates us because you keep talking shit about I keep about talking them. shit about <laughs> them and their laws. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I just thought that was so cool. Mm -hmm. So thank you if you are one of our listeners in our four outside the U.S. countries, and we are very happy to have you. Oh, and I also said I would give my father, Craig, a shout-out. So sorry I saved it till the end, Dad, but hello. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway. That's all. Awesome. Well, good job, sweetie. We will see you next week for episode eight. That's right. All right. See you next week. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye.